Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 215. Bringing you another episode this week as I make a push towards getting to 250 before the end of the year. Going to be a challenge, but I think I can get there. The next month is going to be busy, though, here at the back of the range. I'm heading out on the road during the month of October. Big schedule. I released it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know the drill. Go check out the links in the show notes of this episode or just go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. That has everything you need to know how to find me on social media. I'm heading to Colonial. I'm heading to Trinity Forest, SEC match play at Shoal Creek, Isleworth up in Orlando, finally the Williams Cup in Wilmington, North Carolina. That's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, follow on social media. You'll see all the content that I create. Get to know some of these players and coaches better. It's going to be a fun month. Speaking of North Carolina, my guest on this episode is, as of right now, a member of the number one ranked team in the country. No, not Oklahoma, not Oklahoma State, not Arizona State. I'm talking about the Tar Heels from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. My guest is Austin Greaser. I first ran into him this summer at the Western Amateur. He reached the semifinals before falling to the eventual champion, Michael Thorbornson. Then he kind of kept things going as he made his way to the finals of the U.S. Amateur. He ultimately lost to James Pyatt in the final, but as you'll hear and learn in this episode, um, life has changed quite a bit for, for Austin. We spoke about his start in the game, growing up in Vandalia, Ohio, what led him to North Carolina. That's an incredible story of perseverance and also how opportunities present themselves to you sometimes. We spoke about his incredible journey thus far. Great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Let's get started. Austin, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, hey, you know, last time I saw you, you were uh, you were a national television um, at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. That feels like ages ago. Uh, we have lots to get to. Um, you've had a hell of a couple weeks, though. Let's start with what's happened most recently. You pick up your first collegiate win uh, at the Illini tournament for for UNC. You are a Tar Heel. That's a pretty damn special week. You get your first college win, and oh, let's just throw in a hole in one while you're at it. Uh, have you have you calmed down a little bit, or uh, has that sunk has that sunk in yet? Yeah, a heck of a last even four to five weeks, even. But just this last week has been incredible. I mean, um, it's it's hard to draw it up, kind of like it happened. Um, you know, there at Olympia Field. I don't even. I've told a few people. I don't even know if you believe it. If it was in a movie, but. Um, you know, fortunate enough just to kind of keep riding that wave and keeping that groove of some good golf lately, and and um, swinging well and and getting the getting the ball in the hole pretty quickly, I guess. And um, you know, like I said, I just I'm just trying to carry that into every single week. And so far, at least in these last four to five weeks, I've done a pretty good job. Two hole outs uh, of memory, obviously the hole in one from 160 nine yards and then a hole out birdie on the 18th hole to secure the win from 168 yards <laughs> different clubs i know you had a had an eight and then a chip seven uh, on on 18 um might be a dumb question but harder shot yes the set the the hole out on 18 was harder i mean in all aspects it was into the wind more i think 18th green is arguably way tougher than 13 that pin was kind of in a bowl there on 13 um and with the nerves and pressure that i was feeling on 18 probably makes the shot even a little bit harder so um if i'm allowed to say it yes the the, the, the whole out on 18 was harder <laughs> a lot a lot of people don't make birdie from 160 uh 68 yards on a par four is there something i'm missing here uh did did you did you yeah. top, did you top it off that you top it off the tee didn't you? You, you know i i i probably would have been better off if i topped it i missed this thing probably 75 yards right at the fairway in the trees um it was way right man i don't i don't even know um what happened there i guess maybe a little bit of nerves maybe a little bit of um swinging too hard but i was trying to get it over that tree there on 18 i hit a little fade and i didn't want to try and draw it so i tried to get over that tea, or that tree on 18p there it's a tough tee shot and um I, I guess it just didn't go so playing left the face a little bit open and she went way right so i had to punch out 
um, to, to whatever that what, 168 in the middle of fairway and, and uh, just tapped it in from there. <laughs> there you go. Love it. Yeah. Just, just laying it up to a perfect number that I can pull out. From. Yeah, Got it. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, that's a highlight of your, obviously your college career thus far. And then there's obviously these other highlights we're going to talk about, uh, that you had this past summer at the Western amateur and obviously the U S amateur where, uh, you know, for people that didn't know who you were, they sure as hell learned really quick, uh, during that week at Oakmont, but you know, um, kind of a rite of passage here, you know, at the back of the range, when we have a guest on, we need to kind yeah. of find out how they got into the game of golf. You are uh, from Vandalia, Ohio. So talk to me about how you got into the game in Ohio. Yeah, so, um, yep, from Vandalia, Ohio. If, if you don't know where that's at, it's a little bit north of Dayton, kind of in the uh, southwestern corner there, give or take, of, of Ohio. Um, when I was when I was young, my dad kind of picked up golf, um, you know, when he got out of college uh, after after he graduated, and, and um, he had me around, around 30 years old, and then, and at, uh, he had still kind of kept with it through, through, uh, you know, the next decade or so after he picked it up and around four or five, you know, I kind of started, started watching him and, and getting intrigued with it. And, and, um, so I kind of started, you know, going out on the course with him on the cart and just kind of hitting balls around, hitting around the green, you know, just trying to, you know, putt and get him in the hole, just kind of having fun with it. And, um, you know, just kind of stuck with it. I really enjoyed it. It's something I found a lot of fun in. Um, I'm a really competitive guy. It's something that um, I really enjoy competitively because it's an individual sport, and I kind of like the all the weight on my shoulders and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I don't know. I, I guess just the kind of short answer, and I don't even know how to go into detail. I just kind of picked it up from my dad around five and and stuck with it. And fortunately, have uh, just just been chasing that little white ball for the rocks. You know. Well, 15 or so years now and, and just enjoying it more now than ever. <laughs> now, when did, uh, so give me an idea about your dad's game, you know, cause I've actually, obviously, you know, there's, you know, kids that have parents that are, you know, accomplished amateurs or they're, you know, for their head pros or former pros. Um, you know, is this just your dad just played casually and then you just kind of fell into it as well? I mean, and I'm guessing at some yeah. point, so, okay. So at some point your dad's like, wow, Austin really, really likes this. Um, I got to, you know, either keep teaching him or helping him, or I need to find someone. So maybe what was that transition or the part of your, of your childhood where you started actually getting some instruction and getting serious about it? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, so yeah, my dad, he doesn't have any ties to the game of golf whatsoever. He didn't play growing up. He played basketball in high school and didn't touch a club until he came out of college. So he was just doing it, you know, mainly casually. And, um, I'm not even sure he's ever played a competitive round of golf in his life. I don't think he has. Um, but regardless, um, you know, once, once kind of me and my brother, my twin brother came along, you know, my mom and dad got really busy with us trying to take us, um, to sports and stuff and trying to keep up with my golf, especially when I started playing, um, tournaments and whatnot. And so, um, just kind of, he kind of fizzled out playing a little bit. He is his famous line to me now is he'd rather go out and watch me shoot 68 than him himself go out and shoot 95. So he, he finds more enjoyment in that than, than playing himself, I guess. So. Um, he tells me that all the time. And I think he'd play, you know, more now if he had the time and stuff. But between work, following me, and, and following my brother, too, it's it's kind of hard for him to still get out there right now. So I, I think I started playing competitive golf um, around 7 or 8. I think I was in the U.S. Kids kind of circuit then and, and um, got my first taste of what competitive golf was like. And a couple of years later, I think around 11 years old, um, you know, I, I was kind of on and off between 8 and 11 of instructor here, instructor there. But sure. nothing too serious. Just kind of went to those, you know, you know, uh, golf camps for juniors and stuff yeah. like that. Try to pick up on a thing or two from each professional that was teaching that. But then around 11, you know, we kind of knew that I wanted to take it serious from, from here on out. And, um, you know, I was really enjoying it and really wanted to get better. And um, the, the, the way this all worked out was my mom, I think, looked up like the top 100 coaches in America just to see if we had any um, close to us. And nice. one of them was in Toledo, which is about two hours north. And that was a little bit farther than we wanted to go. So we actually called him and said, hey, um, you know, we would love to kind of work with you, but it just it's not really feasible for where we're at right now. Do you have any colleagues that are closer to our area? And uh, funny enough, he said yes down Cincinnati, which is only about the 60 minutes for me, about an hour. Um, he said, yes, I have a really good buddy down there named, uh, AJ Riley at Camargo club. And, um, we went down and seen him and, and I've been with them ever since. I think we're going about 10 years now together and I've, I've never switched. We, we make a really good team. I feel like I really like how he, he, uh, gives instruction. I really like how, um, you know, he believes in me and stuff like that. And, and, um, I believe in him too. And we make a really good pair and, 
um, that's, that's kind of how that went. So I've been with the same guy for the last nine or 10 years now. What's been the dynamic with your dad and your mom? I mean, obviously not coming from a competitive golf background where, yeah. okay, you know, obviously I'm, I'm guessing they want you to make sure you're always having fun in the game. They want you to enjoy the experience, but there's also going to be times as you progress, and I'm not just talking about this year, but you know, in high school playing junior golf, AJGA, where you're entering a kind of a experience and a relationship with golf that they don't necessarily have anything to fall back on and understand where you know, like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you shooting 75 is probably something that your dad or your mom be like, Oh, that's fantastic. Right. But, but the more you get experienced in the game, the less and less a 75 means to you. And it also probably is a source of frustration as, as you're getting older how have they kind of helped you stay grounded and also keep enjoying the game while you're still trying to break through these barriers of, you know, obviously breaking 80 for the first time, and then you want to break 75. I want to break par. Let me shoot in the sixties, all these little steps along the way. How has the relationship been when, you know, maybe they don't have as much to draw from as. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that's a good point. I think it's really just boils down to kind of like it was a learning curve for everybody. I don't think, you know, anybody in my family or that we were really close with that I've ever played golf at any type of competitive or high competitive level um, whatsoever. So I think it was a lot of learning, um, you know, from, from the beginning to end or, you know, begin till now, I guess, fair way to say it. So I think, one thing I will comment though is I think as, as we kind of all got more into the game and my parents did, and you know, my dad played high school basketball, so he was a very competitive guy. And, um, you know, so he would, he, they, they both pushed me. They, they pushed me a lot, not, not to where they were making me practice, but to where they knew where I wanted to be. So they were very good at encouraging and making sure that I was doing the right things to get there. Um, I remember, you know, when I was little, the course by my house, Castle Hills, um, excuse me growing up and stuff my mom would go down to the chip and putting with me we'd spend you know 30 minutes to 45 minutes down there a night you know it's all we needed we'd go up right down after dinner before it got dark um you know and just chip and putt just just chip and putt that's all we did and um you know one of the things she said was i would have to hit so many balls inside two or three feet circle chipping wise and then i could and i could leave oh and then you know i'd have to hit so many and i'd have to hit so many three footers you know around the hole and then i could leave you know and so like it was a fun little game for me to play too. You know, I was young and still loving it. It wasn't like a demanding, um, you know, you have to do this before you leave, but it was like giving me a little bit of a challenge and giving me something to kind of practice for and, and enjoy while I was down there, I guess, if you will, you know, 11, 12, 13, whatever I was back then. Um, so I think, you know, and then kind of putting it in perspective too, just like I said, just kind of growing as I got better. Obviously the scores now weren't exactly what they are back then, but, I think as you play more and, and we all three and all four of us in the family learned more, um, you kind of know, you kind of start to understand where your game's at compared to others or, or where your game's at for a certain course and stuff. And so as I got older, I think we kept setting more realistic expectations and would change them if we felt like they needed change or, um, you know, we, we would know what more to expect and stuff like that. So I think it's just a learning curve is really all it boils down to, but, um, you know, just the support and stuff from them throughout the last or throughout my whole life really, um, is just unmatched. It really is. And I'm, I'm sure that's pretty cliche, but, um, I really feel that way. And, and I don't think I could ask for any, any more support than the two of them give me. Very well said. And, and I just, it's, it's a, I think we found out the brain, the, the brains behind the operation of mom's giving you putting and chipping uh contest at age you know, 12, 13. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, okay. I just figured, I'm like, Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> I just figured it out. Now you talked about your coach and, you know, I want to definitely hit upon kind of your swing progression. And, you know, I really appreciate that, you know, uh, you know, back in 2019, you decided to post a swing video of yourself on Instagram of every year for the yeah. last six years. So I really appreciate you doing that because that basically just leads me into the fact that, you know, you have, um, you know, a unique move of the ball where you, you really do use the ground effectively. And it's really fun to watch right. the progression since 2013 because you see how you're getting taller and stronger. And it's your, I could see how you're using the body more and more as you're getting older. Right, right. Um, and you're growing up in the game at a time where everything's on video. Everyone's analyzing everything in, in you know, video, you know, swing videos and apps and um, right. everyone out on the range has their phone out to, to video. Was there ever a time that you and your coach actually made the, the conscious effort of saying, 
okay, we're not going to look at all the other kids. We're not going to pay attention to maybe the, the standard positions that maybe other kids are getting to. This is your swing. Do you remember when you kind of took ownership of your golf swing? Yeah, I think – I don't know if I can put a, a finger on that point. I will say a couple things here. I will say one um, – you know, I'm a guy that I don't really see my swing coach a lot. If I see him three or four times a year, like that's that's okay. pretty normal for me. Um, I don't see him a lot. Um, I feel like both of us and you know him especially, we've we've grooved a swing that that he knows that I know, and I don't feel like I have to run to him if if I feel like something's a little bit off here and there. I feel like I kind of know what to look for now and and can kind of figure it out on my own. And I'm kind of more of a feel guy like that anyway. I'd, okay. I'd rather. You know, if, if I'm pulling the ball, I'll go out and hit, you know, five or 10, like literally slices, you know, to feel like what the face is when it's open and then kind of work my way back uh, to middle from there. But um, I think that's that's kind of the case there. And then uh, when I was growing up, I, I hit my growth spurt very late. I mean, I was a little feller through, you know, freshman did or you sophomore year in high did school. You say, did you say feller? You say feller? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, you can say whatever you want to, but you say I, I was a little failure back in the day. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just that just kind of came out. You're good, man. Here, You're but, good. Um, yeah, so just me being a little failure I was, um, you know, back in freshman sophomore year, I think soaking wet in high school, I was probably 110, 120 pounds, and I mean, I was small. So I think one of the reasons that I feel like I've been able to use the ground was we never taught that. Like me and my coach, we never tried to do that, but. Right. I was getting smoked by everybody at a young age. I mean, every, everybody was so much bigger than me. I was like, how am I going to get the ball out there farther? I mean, I have to, it's, they have, they have eight, eight or seven or eight irons and I'm having four iron, you know? So it's like, I was trying to get the ball out there farther. And, and I'll be honest, it's just kind of how it happened. It just okay. kind of was a natural thing that I would, I started to try to get a little bit more distance kind of, kind of unconsciously at the same time. Um, and it just kind of, I started using the ground and, and I will say, um, you know, one thing that maybe some people will, will be surprised about is if you gave me a tennis ball, I could dunk it two handedly. I can jump, jump pretty high. Um, so I think that's one of the, one of the perks of using the ground is, is I, you know, I've kind of been lucky enough to have, I guess, a little bit of a vertical. Um, and so I can kind of use the ground almost as a jump motion into the ball and pick up a ton of speed as, as I'm coming through. So it's really just an unconscious, you know, natural motion that we never taught. It just kind of came about because I was really a tiny kid and just trying to catch up to everybody else. And it kind of stuck with me. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm glad it did because I feel like now I might, I guess, you know, I probably am one of the longer guys, you know, in amateur golf. And I think everybody kind of knows me now as that's definitely one of my strengths. It's not always dead straight, but it's always pretty far. So, um, but, but what's interesting is at least, you know, when I would play, you know, golf, so I'm, you know, I was six feet tall uh, when I was like 15, 16 years old. And okay. when I saw the younger guys or the smaller guys trying to get more distance, they were hitting kind of the rope draws. They were very, right. um, you know, you mentioned vertical. They were very horizontal. They were trying to just turn it and, and just get as much top spin or just drawing and trying to get as much as they could to get the ball out there. And after looking at your swing, I mean, did you really ever go that route or were you just basically just using the ground yeah. instead of flipping your hands? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I actually played a draw for a long time. Okay. I mean, I think up until um, up until about two and a half years ago now, um, I was playing a draw until actually until like the end of my freshman year, give or take, of college, I think, give or take, somewhere in there. I think the end of freshman year is really when I started to change. I, um, I, I did play a draw and it did give me a little bit extra distance, but as I got older and hit it farther, I felt like it was a lot harder to time the face up yep. um, hitting a draw than it is to hit a fade. So I kind of made a little bit of a switch to a fade now that I had enough distance and wasn't really hurting for distance because um, right. I wanted to hit a little bit straighter. So that's actually gone a really long way for me. I feel like it's a lot easier to, to kind of hold off the face, if you will, rather than have to time it up and hit the draw. Um, so I, I definitely was in that boat for a while. I played a draw from probably – give or take, I mean, 13 to 18 years old. I mean, that's all I played with every single club just because it did give me a little bit more, but um, now it's now it's the other, other way around. Well, it's, it's great info you're sharing about the progression because a lot of people that probably got to know you through what you did at the Western and USAM and now at, at UNC, they're thinking, okay, this kid just bombs it. But for people that are listening, you know, parents of juniors, juniors themselves, like you, you can, you know, work on the fundamentals and you can get to the point where, 
you know, the, the distance will come is basically what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, um, absolutely. The other thing I always like doing in this podcast is just kind of sharing stories so that, you know, like I said, parents of juniors, juniors themselves can kind of, uh, you know, take something away. And yes, they'll, they'll, they'll learn about what you did at the U.S. Amateur. They'll learn about the great success you're having. But, you know, a lot of these kids, a lot of these parents stress out so much about the recruiting process. You know, whether sure. they get to that freshman year in high school, junior, you know, sophomore year in high school, you had great success as a junior. I mean, you were 10th yeah. ranked senior in the country on, on, on Rolex and, uh, you know, you win the junior optimist in 2016 and you're, you know, you're really racking up a lot of these achievements. Um, but you kind of had a little bit of a lack of offers on the D one level than maybe you thought. Um, yeah. Can you maybe share kind of, you know, briefly what that process was like for you yeah. and how you said, okay, this, you know, how's it shaped you so far? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, the way I'll put this is I, I played a lot of very local you know, tours and stuff like that growing up. I was fortunate enough to go to travel a little bit to some bigger events, but I, I definitely wouldn't say, especially like my freshman and sophomore year, when a lot of kids were starting to commit, I was nowhere near as decorated as a lot of kids. Um, and so I think that's kind of, that's, that's one of the main reasons I think why I probably didn't have some of the other big time, you know, power five offers than I did and stuff like that. And just kind of had more of the, the mid major type, um, type offers, which nothing wrong with those whatsoever, but that's right. just kind of how, um, I guess I can put it. And so I kind of just kept my head down and I remember, um, excuse me, freshman, let's see, freshman spring of my high school uh, career. I remember that me and my dad, we put together kind of an Excel spreadsheet of a lot of colleges that I wish, you know, to maybe someday hopefully go to and that we were going to reach out to and stuff like that. And, and we ended up kind of, you know, copy and pasting a template. Um, maybe I should or shouldn't say that, but um, to all these coaches and try just to get my name out there just to say, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm Austin Greaser pretty much. Um, you know, I'll be playing in these tournaments. This is my resume so far. I've had a couple of good finishes. Um, but I think one of the main things I put in, in those, in those, um, and those emails was something about like, you know, I, I, I'm really going to be good. I'm going to be really good one day. I believe that I work very hard and I would love to be on your team to sink the national championship putt someday. And that was one of the things that me and my dad kind of, you know, sat down and did. And he said, there's, you know, my dad kind of told me there's no reason not to market yourself. Well, is one of the best ways he put it to me. And I really kind of took hold of that. So, you know, I, I told coaches, I was honest with them. I mean, I may never, be in the spot to do it, but I, I did want to be the guy to make a putt someday to win the national championship for a team. And I would tell coaches, I said, you know, coach, this is what I'm working for. And, and I believe that I can be in that spot someday and make it. So um, I think one of the best things we did well is, is I, I marketed myself well, but at, at the, at the, at the top of things, I think that I would put up there is I, I believed in myself a hundred percent and I kept my head down and was, and was working harder than anybody, especially, you know, in my freshman and sophomore year when I may have not had quite the resume that some of these, you know, top juniors back then had had and, and wasn't getting the offers. I, I just said, look, you know, all these schools are great. A lot of them are giving me great offers, but I'm going to keep my head down because I'm looking for something just a little bit bigger. And I'm looking for something, you know, I want to look, I want to play on a team someday that's going to compete for a championship. That's going to be top five in the country. That's going to be number one in the country and stuff like that. So um, I, I just think I, I kind of just kept my head down and kept working, kept doing my thing and just believed in myself and believed that, you know, I was going to be where I thought I was going to be someday. And, and kind of long story short, you know, here we are sitting here talking to you on, on back of the range. And um, I don't think, you know, four or five years ago, that would have ever been even a, a thought in my mind. So, um, you know, that's kind of how it went. If I think that hopefully covers a little bit. Was, yeah. that, was that pretty good? Self-belief. I love the fact that your parents were like, there's nothing wrong with marketing yourself because I, I believe that too. If you don't tell people who you are and you don't help people find their way to you, uh, no one's right. going to know, no one's going to care. So it's, it's not, it's, it's not like if you can back it up then, then great, but you, you have to go ahead and share, share your yeah. Uh, accomplishments. Yeah. And some, yeah. Something I kind of want to say on top of that real quick yeah. while you're on that subject is, um, and hopefully I'm not, I, I won't, uh, make too many coaches roll their eyes at this. Uh, but one of the things that we, me and my dad did especially and was told, you know, quite a bit to do from a couple of head coaches is reach out to them very consistently. I mean, these, these top, you know, division one coaches are getting hundreds of emails a day. And so, you know, there might be some come through that they might see all of yours come through, but I don't think I ever hesitated to reach out constantly and reach out all the time. I mean, I think worst thing in my mind that was going to happen was they just hit the trash button on their email and, and they, you know, throw my mind away. And that was fine with me. I just wanted them to know that, Hey, 
I was extremely interested. I'm going to keep kind of poking at you until you tell me yes or no. Um, and, and I just want you to know that, that, uh, you know, someday I want to play kind of for a program like that. So I think just real quick, like I want to just throw in is don't be afraid to reach out to, to coaches very often, a lot and very frequently. I mean, um, if the worst thing they can say is no, and, and the best, the best thing is, is you're getting your name out there and you're, and they're seeing your name a lot. And, and I think ultimately that's going to want them to come see you play even more if, if you have that kind of confidence in yourself. <clears throat> Great point, and and kind of put a or just kind of put a bow on this topic is it teaches you probably this is probably something you weren't even thinking about at the time, but it also teaches you to deal with failure and rejection and realize that it's not that big of a deal. It's not a big deal to fail or be rejected because you know you're going to get that a lot in golf when you're actually on the golf course. But learning at an early age, like hey, they said no, okay, someone's going to say yes though. Exactly. And like I said, I think the worst thing, like the worst thing they're going to tell you is no, we don't have a spot. And I got that countless times. And actually one of the, one of the programs that told me, no, we don't have any 2019 spots was UNC. They had a different head coach and he emailed me back and said, sorry, no, we don't have any 2019 spots. And I moved on. Um, so maybe that's, Maybe we'll dig into that rabbit hole well, in a little let's, bit. But, let's, yeah, um, let's, let's. Yeah, that's, maybe that's a good entry. Well, there. <laughs> hey, you're doing my job for me. This is great. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Um, all right, helping so, you out, man. Yeah, I know you're helping me out. So, so you obviously, so it doesn't work out for you in 19. You do end up at UNC, and um, you know, you mentioned the old coach. Let's talk about the new coach, Coach Andrew DiBattetto, and then your the assistant, yeah. uh, uh, Matty Clark. Let's let's talk about getting there and just the the first experience there and of getting recruited to UNC. Let's start yeah. there. Yeah. So, um, like I said, email uh, Coach Sapp. I think it was the coach before uh, you know Andrew DiBattetto, and uh, he said he didn't have any spots. So, kind of fast forward to summer going to my senior year. Um, fast forward one more year. I only had one more year of high school left. And I still was uncommitted at this point. And like I said, just kind of kept keeping my head down. Knew I didn't get an offer that I really loved. And I was down here in Greensboro for um, the Wyndham Invitational that AJGA puts on. Yeah. And long story short, I'm not really sure how they got word of, of me or not, but um, I got a call while I was at the Wyndham Invitational, and it was uh, Coach Coach Andrew DiBattetto, and, and we call him Deebs now, so I'm probably going to refer to him as Deebs. That's for fine, this call. Deebs. No uh, it's a lot easier. But um, So Deebs called me, um, and he said, hey, hey, uh, this UNC head coach, you know, Andrew DiBattetto, um, uh, we, we got to watch you play today, and, and we'd really love if you'd stop by the facility on your way back because we were flying out of Raleigh. And we said, you know, heck yeah, that's awesome. For sure, we would love to stop by um, and stuff like that. And so I guess as they are watching me at – at uh, Wyndham, they really kind of liked my demeanor. They, they said I kind of had a swag to me that, um, and they kind of pointed out and said they liked a lot. I had a lot of confidence in my game and stuff like that. And so um, I came here and visited for a quick brief second before our flight. I got to see the golf facility and whatnot, and um, I got to meet both of them in person, Deeds and uh, Clarky. I think it was uh, two or three weeks later. It was July 4th weekend, give or take, and me and a couple buddies came back down to UNC for more of my official visit and for me to see the rest of campus and stuff like that. And I've, I don't think I've ever felt so much at home somewhere, um, or at least of all the, all the colleges I did get to visit. I, I absolutely love this place. Um, you know, I think, you know, me, Clarky and Deebs, we really, we really mesh well together and we have a lot of the same personalities, especially me and Deebs. And, and I really, really, um, like, um, you know, David Teto is a head coach. I think he's one of the best ones going right now. I think I'm biased, but I think if you got to hang around him for a little bit of time, I think you'd think the same thing. Everybody would. Came back down to our fourth weekend. I loved it. And they kind of extended an offer to me. And I said, you know, there's no way I'm even going to think about this one. I, I just said, yes, I want the spot and, and committed. So it was, it was crazy how it all went down. It was literally three weeks before I committed. I didn't even know UNC had a spot for me or had any 2019 spot. And then, you know, fast forward, like I said, three weeks later, and I'm, I'm committed to UNC. So it's just kind of one of those things, I think, that just kind of fell, fell in place perfectly. And, and I really love this spot. And they, they uh, you know, they really gelled well with me. And, and kind of the rest is, is history now, um, you know, going in, and now in my third year. But that's kind of the, the background story. Pretty cool little little uh, little way to go there and way to commit to here. So um, it was just really cool and just kind of kind of cool to have somebody meet you so quick and have so much confidence and belief in you. I think that's really what, what, um, you know, uh, was, was cool to me and, and cool to feel that way from two, two of the best head coaches probably in the country. So, um, that's kind of the short story or maybe somewhat long story of it. <clears throat> no, it's, um, it's crazy how things happen. Now I've spent time with both of those guys at, uh, obviously the U S amateur and at other tournaments, 
you know, people may not know who they are, may have not seen them in person. So let's see if I can accurately depict them and the, and their little <laughs> dynamic here. So true or false, Coach Deeves looks like a guy that could probably sneak into a frat party unnoticed and hold his own during a game of beer pong. True or false? True. Okay. Coach Clark yeah. looks like the guy working for campus police that would come shut down the same frat party, <laughs> citing like an obscure noise ordinance rule that was implemented in 1982. True or false? Very, very true. <laughs> okay. All right. Just want to make sure I'm setting this table. So let's have a little fun here for you uh, in the middle of the episode. You're hungry at 1 a.m. You want fast food. Who's going to go on a food run with you, Deebs or Clarky? Deebs. <laughs> more, more likely to get lost driving the team van. Um, Deebs. Clarky drives all the time and he's a phenomenal van driver for some reason. It's just amazing. He, he does his job really well in the van. You have questions on homework. You got a paper due. You got a project due. You need you need the brain trust. Who do you go to, Deebs or Clarky? I'm probably going to say Clarky there. Okay. Most... Clarky's good at that kind of brain stuff. Okay. He's good at brain stuff. All right. Wow. Um, most likely to wear the wrong team uniform on a specific day. That's tough. Uh, they're both really good at it. I, I'm gonna have to say Clarky, I think. Okay. Uh, Sorry, Clarky. That's okay. The the putting has gone uh, has gone south. Who needs who's gonna help you out the best? Deeds. He's watched me putt the most, so I think I think Deeds. Full swing has gone to gone to hell. Who's gonna help you out with that? Both of them. Gotcha. They, I've I've had help from both of them before, and both of them have been great. Your life depends on a five footer. Who's gonna take the putt? Sorry, Deeds, but Clarky. <laughs> You're, and finally, you're in a foreign country. You don't know how to get home. You have one phone call to make. Who do you call? Deebs, 100%. Wow. Okay. This uh, yeah. got some good answers. Uh, disclaimer, here. sorry, Deebs, Clarky. If you guys ever listen to this, that's that's Ben's fault. I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus, but you can blame you can blame Ben. I, I, I run a tough ship here. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to shift gears. We're going to talk about the USAM. We're going to talk about the Western but, you know, after listening to your experience in junior golf, your college recruiting experience, and knowing a little bit about how you approach the game, um, is it fair to say that you play with a chip on your shoulder? Um, you know, I, I wasn't as decorated as, as everybody else, you know, or not everybody else, but a lot of other junior golfers in, in junior golf. And I got turned down by a lot of, I got turned down by a lot of coaches, you know, growing up and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I would, I felt like I had a lot more confidence and a lot more self-belief than, than a lot of kids, but a lot of coaches kind of overlook that and would rather have a, have a better resume, which I totally understand from a coach's perspective and, and no, no kind of jab at anybody at all. But, um, I think that's kind of why I have a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I'm from the Midwest, um, you know, from not necessarily a small town, but pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nobody knows where I live and, um, it's not, it's not really a ton of, um, you know, it's not really on the news ever or anything like that. So, um, we've got some pretty, pretty awesome golf courses though for just a, a very little area, but you know, long story short, like you said, yeah, I think I, I carry a pretty big chip on my shoulder and I play better when I have a chip on my shoulder, especially when people try and, you know, either tell me they don't believe in me or kind of show me they don't and stuff like that. So, um, I do have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and, and it keeps me going. It keeps me running, you know, hot enough to play well and, and sometimes too hot, but, um, you know, just trying to find a happy medium there is, is really the goal, but yeah. Um, I think you're right about that. We talked at the very beginning of this episode about, uh, you know, picking up your first collegiate win. Um, it's not like you weren't knocking on the door last spring, four top eight individual finishes. And I know it's kind of yeah. uh, said a lot at the professional ranks when you see like the, when you see like the guy that finally gets that corn Ferry tour win and he just says, man, it's just so hard to win out here. And you yeah. hear that stuff on the pro ranks. You don't hear it a lot in college golf, but this is a great time to ask that question. How hard is it to win in college golf? Yeah, I mean, it's as hard as anywhere. I've never played in a professional event yet or never played in a major or anything like that, but um, it's as hard as anywhere. And I think last, you know, all all year, I feel like I have been playing very, very good golf. And in the spring, um, rightfully so, Peter Fountain kind of covered me up. I mean, he was absolutely balling and he won twice. And I was like, man, like, how can this, this freshman coming in? Like, he, this is his first semester ever and. I, you know, I'm getting close, but he's finishing off. Like, what the heck is going on? And so, um, that's just how golf is. And it just sometimes clicks at certain times for other people and, and for you. And it's just kind of the nature of, 
golf, the nature of sports, the nature of competitive events. And so, um, I've really had a, a pretty, a pretty great year. Um, so, so, so far this 2021 year, I had a lot of top finishes and, and finally got the win last week, like you said, but man, I mean, it is tough. And like, you take away the fact that that shot went in on 18, you know, I probably have, if you hit the same shot and it doesn't go in, you know, maybe you have inside five, 10 feet to, to par and to win, but if that shot doesn't go in, you know, I'm standing there 168 in the middle of fairway saying, you know, wow, like you, you just hit the worst drive of the week at the worst possible yeah. time. I mean, you're in the lead by two and it's very hard and, and one or two slip ups per week can cost you. And it just about did for me. Thankfully it didn't. And, and I did, but um, at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's still hard to put in perspective. I mean, it's like, you're, you're not, that might never happen for me again, holding off in the fairway to win, you know, you never know. So it's like, if you kind of have more realistic aspect on it of the fact that, Hey, if that shot doesn't go in, you've got to make a putt to win. And, and it was just like, you've got to, you've got to hit the, hit the shots at the right time. And, you know, kind of unfortunately, fortunately, however you look at it now, kind of slipped up on a drive there, but it's, it's very tough to win. And if you kind of let it go, somebody's going to be there to snatch it up is the best way to put it. We'll talk about the U.S. Amateur. Uh, you know, really, this is the the stage that I think the the nation and people that follow amateur golf really got to know you. But I, I you know, spent a lot, quite a lot of time with you at the Western Amateur just a couple weeks before that. And you know, you make the Sweet Sixteen, such a great event, and just Glenview, just incredible. But you know, this match that you had with with the eventual champion Michael Theobornson really yeah. just was this. I mean, following it and seeing the lines that both of you were taking off the tee, uh, obviously, you know, I think that was his, I mean, it was destined to be his week. I mean, gosh, he, he sets the course record. He's a medalist. Yeah. I mean, it was just his show, but really the one match that he really had tough with was had a tough time with was yours. And that's when I was like, wow, this, uh, you know, going to Oakmont, um, you know, you have to drive it far. You have to drive it straight. Uh, you know, people were asking me, who do you like? I said, well, you know, there's the usual suspects, but uh, there's, a, you know, keep an eye on Greaser because if he does what he does at, at Glenview, he does it at Oakmont. It's going to be interesting. How much fun? I know you lost the match, but when you look back at that, how much fun oh was that gosh. match? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hats off to him. I, I got to listen to that little snippet of his his podcast. Oh, yeah, um, he doesn't so, like your sand so, game, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't either after that day. I don't know if I've ever held out twice in one, in one round from a bunker, but I don't know. I just kind of found the magic that day, and and that's just kind of how golf rolls, but hats off to him, man. He was balling all week and he deserved that win for sure. I mean, I, I would, would have loved to beat him and that's anybody I think competitive, but, um, I'm, I'm really happy for him. He, he played so well all week and, um, it would have taken, I mean, it, it took two bunker shots and more to beat him. I mean, it, I didn't even, I didn't even get to beat him. So he was playing very, very well and, and he was golfing his ball pretty, pretty good that week. So hats off. Yeah, that was that was a fun uh, that was a fun match to watch and just a fun week and and um... yeah, and I think like you said, like the, just the match, like it was so much fun. I mean, we were kind of talking a little bit there at the end. We kind of stopped just because we both wanted it so bad, but it just kind of kind of like left punch, right punch. You know, we were both eating them from each other. We were both giving them. Um, you know, just it, that, that's the best thing about match play. It's kind of like a match like that. You know, I I make my second bunker shot on on what thirteen there and or 14, I guess that part three, maybe it is. And then the next hole, he makes like a 45 or 50 footer for birdie. And it's like, holy cow. Like, you know, I had the momentum, but now you do, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's that was just an awesome match. And I would love to do it again with him someday. Yeah. That, uh, that 17th hole where he hits driver to the, just in the rough green side. I just like, yeah. that's, I mean, I was there all week. I didn't see anyone doing anything close to that. I just saw people hitting three yeah. hybrids and just, I was like, okay, that's a different planet. Um, you yeah. go. To, you go to Oakmont. You 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 win your your qualifier for the USAM. Uh, I believe you shot sixty two in in the second round. So you are coming in. I mean, all systems go. And um, did you have you know I, when people are asking me like who do you like at Oakmont? I'm thinking of you know, I'm thinking of the guys that hit it far. I'm thinking of the, of the Pearson Cooties and the Parker Cooties and the you know the Vicks and and Thor and you know I'm thinking of right. and, and you and all the other guys that really bomb it. Did you have any preconceived notions about Oakmont? Did you really know anything about the place before you got there? Yeah, so um, the first time I ever got to play it, I actually was fortunate enough. My um, beach here at UNC is a, is a pretty good is friends with um, Mr. Guido, head golf professional up at Oakmont. His wife, his wife actually played at UNC. 
So um, we, we were, I was fortunate enough to kind of have a little bit of a connection there. And about three weeks before I got to go up and play for the first time, I got to see it and kind of just knew it fit my game. I mean, I think I love Midwest golf or, you know, pretty much something like that. I don't know if people consider, you know, Pittsburgh Midwest or not, but um, it's very similar to Midwest golf. It's, you know, pretty open. Sometimes there's usually more trees, but just bent, bent, bent grass greens, bent grass fairways, thick rough, um, fairway bunkers are penal. Um, and greens are fast and very sloped. And I think, you know, I, I play a lot of golf on courses like that. So I was very comfortable. And if you think back to Inverness, um, the U.S. junior there when I played so well, I had a really good feeling that it was going to be a good week because I thought Inverness looked very, very similar to Oakmont, you know, pretty open. Um, excuse me, Inverness had a few more trees than, than Oakmont did, but just very similar in a lot of different ways, very long, um, needed to hit the driver far. Fairways were, were tight from left to right, not very much room out there. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a really good feeling about it. It just fit my game really well. Like you said, I think one of the things is, is like, there's trouble everywhere out there. So if you're going to be in trouble, you might as well just hit driver for me and get it way down there in trouble. Um, you know, cause hopefully you have a wedge or something. You can at least get up around the green, but, um, anyway, you know, I had a really good feeling about it and, and, um, I'm, I'm not surprised it went the, it went the way it did for me. I wish I could have that final, honestly, just that final nine holes back, but man, that's golf and, and that's sports and, and stuff like that. So um, I wouldn't change it in any way, really. It was it was an awesome week. So, um, you know, that, that initial time you're at Oakmont is also the time you meet this this young man named Carter Pitcairn. So he is yeah. a junior member at Oakmont. They send him out to play with you. At that time, you kind of, you know, realize, hey, you know, this 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 kid knows the place a little bit and we're getting along. So, um, so you ask him to caddy for you. And obviously, you guys have this great run. Um, one of the more uh, entertaining, well, I wouldn't say entertaining, but one of the more interesting moments for me that week is seeing him walk up to the first tee or walk to the putting green before your semifinal match against Vic. And he was laughing pretty much the entire week. Well, not that day. Yeah. He was white as a ghost. I looked over at him like, <laughs> bro. And I, I actually pulled more. I'm like, yeah. dude, go have fun, man. Relax. He looked, <laughs> he was like, oh shit, this is real. Um, right. Uh, do you remember him being that nervous or like, do you remember your nerves? Cause really, you know, I I've said this many times. I think that match, the semifinal match, the USA oh, is the hardest. I know match. exactly what you're going to yeah, say. It's the hardest yep. match in Amber golf. If you lose it's, it's, Hey, great week. Uh, here's a couple of wagger points, you know, see you next year. Yep. If you win, you get a lot of things coming your way. So absolutely. What were you both like that morning on the first tee? Yeah. Um, first off, yeah, Carter's the man, him and his family. I don't even know if we've ever met anybody nicer or better than them. Um, I think it's really cool too. Cause we went from, we went from a four week span of never even knowing each other, meeting each other to we'll probably be best friends for life now. There you go. Um, so that's, that's really cool. And, and now it's just a fantastic week. I mean, he made for a really good caddy. We gel well, but anyway, um, yeah, the semifinal match, um, just, uh, I called my coach, you know, the night before I called the and I said, um, you know, Hey, like, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Everybody knows what tomorrow's for. Um, you get two major exemptions. Um, and, and, and if you lose, you don't get anything. And so, you know, I kind of just opened up to him about look like who's not thinking about it. Right. I mean, right. there's no way you're not. So I was definitely nervous. I don't think I hardly slept at all that night. Um, but I, I will say, I think one of the things that made me even more nervous was the crowd. I have never played in an atmosphere even close to that. And it felt like every single green, you were weaving in and out of three or four rows of people yeah. just to step foot onto the green and mark your ball. And I talked to Travis. I remember talking to him walking on number three. And I said, you know, we were both, you could tell, pretty nervous. And I, he's a pretty quiet kid. And I didn't want to change anything he was doing or, or doing, you know, asking something. You know, he didn't really want to be asked at the time. But I looked at him, I said, Hey man, you ever seen anything like this? And he looked back at me, he said, no, of you. And I said, no. And you could kind of tell we were both, you know, pretty overwhelmed by right. it. And that something kind of pro that, and probably yeah, loosened everything yeah, up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And you, it kind of did a little bit, but you can't really, you can't prepare for that. I don't feel like you don't, you don't know how to, and it's, it's a really different atmosphere. So that, that day I was more nervous all day, every single shot than I think I've ever been, I think is the best way to put it. It was, it was crazy. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was, um, it's hard to put it into words, but it was a fantastic match. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of obviously glad it, it, it happened the way it did and, and I came out on top there, but, um, 
hats off to Travis. He played great, had a great week, and it was cool to just cool to kind of experience that that atmosphere and and that that match really. So, yeah, Travis, uh, I enjoy following him a lot. Super, I mean that that was really uh, that was a, I mean that was a very entertaining match, and I really enjoyed following that one. And you know, going back to Carter, I mean that's uh, you know in his nerves and just his his enjoyment of it. Um, you mentioned all the things that you get to get to do uh, after you know becoming a U.S. Amateur finalist. You get to you know play in uh, the U.S. Open, and unless you do something stupid like turn pro before next April, I think you might get a Masters invite. So don't don't do that. All right, just just stay amateur. So um, what uh, you think you think Carter might be at Augusta National, or is it just too soon to tell? You're gonna hold it. You're gonna just kind of dangle the carrot for a little bit, or you think he might yeah. not be there? Yeah, um, I think it's it's too soon to tell for sure, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm just trying to – I'm honestly just trying to stay stay here and stay stay in the present right now. I still got a lot of goals and a lot of things that I want to achieve even before those weeks. So I've definitely thought about it, and it's definitely been cool to, to receive the email from Augusta and stuff like that and, and something you dream of. But at the same time, you know, I got a lot of work to take care of here right now, and one of the goals, you know, even going into this, this semester was when individually for the first time, and so – um, just trying to keep my head down and kind of figure that stuff out later. But, you know, I will say uh, along your question, I haven't really figured it out yet. And I think, you know, he would make a great caddy if it ends up being him, but, um, I, I don't know yet. I haven't decided. Um, one of the really unique things about your experience at the US Amateur, lots of family and friends around you that week. I mean, you have a very eclectic group, uh, some are dressed appropriately, some are not, you know who I'm talking about. Um, you know, you know, normally you see the, the girlfriend, the parents, maybe a grandparent or something like that, but that's really it. You have, you know, the parents, you have your twin brother, uh, you have, uh, you know, your entire crew. Uh, I don't want to label them as Austie's army. Uh, but you know, I mean that that's what they were. And also like the, a really good advantage you have is there are a lot of rainouts and while, uh, you know, a lot of suspensions to play. So while everyone else is looking at their phone and, and, being nervous you got this entire crew to hang with talk to me about the crew that i mean how instrumental were they that week yeah i mean um i think like it was crazy for me like i i knew i had a lot of support back home and stuff like that and i had some really good buddies that have followed me for a long time ever since being in high school and stuff but i don't think i would have ever dreamed of how much support and stuff i got that week that was that was insane and um just like you kind of hinted at earlier, I think we talked about a little bit. Um, and I, to have everybody there, it kind of calmed me down a little bit. I think there were a lot of starts and stops and, you know, in between matches and just trying to eat food and stuff like that. And kind of to have people around me that I have always around me and I'm and, and, and used to just kind of being calm with and just cracking jokes and stuff like that. It was it was huge. And um, like I said in my Instagram post, I, I really meant it. I, I can't believe how much support I got that week. Messages, people coming out, the whole nine yards, and, and it meant the world to me. And and I love every one of them. It's really cool to have that kind of on my side for sure, even if they, they dress funny sometimes. <laughs> um, well, I'm contributing. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I sent him a hat. Uh, talk to me about uh, talk to me how special is have your brother on the golf course during that time. Yeah, so special. I mean, he means a lot to me, and, and we've been through a lot as a, a family with him, and, and we've both been through a lot even in just golf. He's been my caddy a lot too before. So um, very special to have him out there and to kind of be able to share that with him um is just so cool i think a lot of the pic- a few pictures that were gotten some of the video coverage just kind of shows you know the, how big of a smile we got on our face and just kind of both of us being able to kind of embrace after a match win and stuff like that i mean it just shows how much he means to me and and how much he supports me also so um you know that's it, it's so cool and to have a twin brother like that and to be able to kind of be growing up competitive with your twin brother and kind of punching each other all the time and wrestling and stuff and then you know here we are at 20 years old and we're on the we're in the final match of the U.S. Amateur, and and you know we're getting TV time. That's that's pretty cool, and I don't think I can really put that into words. That's really hard, but um, you know I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. He's he's a man, and and I'd, I'd get my shirt off my back if I if I could, and, or if he needed it. And we're we're tight, and it's really cool, cool little uh, cool little bond we got. <laughs> you uh, you lose the final against James Pyatt. Obviously, everyone you know watching they they realize that, but you do get the U.S. Open invite. You're going to get a Masters invite. Um, now you're being vaulted into a Walker Cup discussion. You know, you have a COVID year to use, so you can easily have that within your grasp where it's something that you can shoot towards. And, sure. you know, I think I actually chatted with your mom after the loss. I said, you know, she's obviously, you know, 
bombed and and I said, well, look, if you're going to finish second in a tournament, um, this is the That's one. The one to do this it is the one to do it in. Um, <laughs> right, right. And, and I, I'm sure it, it stung, but have you allowed yourself to kind of put the entire week in perspective and realize, like, okay, um, the week before, like the week before the Sunny Hannah, you were the 139th ranked amateur in the world. And now yep. semifinalist at the Western, runner-up at the USAM. You win your, you just win your first collegiate event. Now you're thirtieth in the world. When you know, just to get you out of here on this final point, when you go back and look at the summer and look at what you've accomplished, how do you look back on it? Are you a different player now than you were like before you go to the Santa Ana? I think I have had a chance to kind of think on that week a little bit. I'll tell you what, school's been kind of overwhelming, and getting back in the in the in the you know kind of just of things here has been kind of crazy. But I will say like. It's been cool, and I've been, been able to have a couple times to myself and just kind of think about, you know, what I actually just did. And um, like I said, you know, came up a little bit short, but, you know, hats off to James in that back nine. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he executed and I didn't. And, um, you know, he really hit some good shots coming down the stretch and, and kind of and, and got the job done. So um, that was a really good back nine from him, but regardless, great week for me. Um, and, yeah, throughout the whole summer, I think, and even this year, like I said, I've had a really great year. And I think as you as you play play – you know, better, more consistently in your, yourself in spots to win, or at least close, you're gaining confidence this whole time, or at least for me it is. You're gaining confidence, you're gaining experience, you're, you're gaining the feeling of what it's like to be nervous in a situation. And, and usually if you're nervous, I feel like you're in the spot that you want to be in. Um, so I think, you know, sitting here now, like you said, you know, ranked a little bit higher than maybe at the start of the summer. Um, yeah, it's cool. And, and yeah, I've learned a lot and I have a lot more confidence definitely in these events, but it's nothing that I've never dreamed of, of being at someday. You know, I, I think I've had big goals for myself. And, and like I said, I, I feel like I have a lot of self-belief and confidence. And, um, you know, I, I do see myself as one of the best amateurs in the world. And I don't mean that in a boastful or bragging way whatsoever, but, um, you know, that's, that doesn't mean that week in and week out, I can tell you there's a lot of great amateurs out there, but at the same time, it's it's no surprise to me. This is what I work for. This is what I envision myself at. And, um, you know, fortunately, it's kind of come to life a little bit. But there's a lot more work to go and, and a lot more things to be accomplished and a lot more goals that I've set that I want to achieve. So we're not done, but um, it's, it's definitely a good start and definitely a lot of good confidence and a lot of good experience to build on moving forward. Well, I know that you have to kind of get out of here because, as you said, you got work to do. You have uh, practice with the team. Um, the biggest benefit, yep. one of the bigger beneficiaries of the of the, the you having to leave right now is that there's no time left for you to make fun of the incoming freshman David Ford, uh, <laughs> which is Good so thing. it's so disappointing. <laughs> I mean, it, we just ran out of time. I'm sure there's a lot of stories you can tell about him, but maybe we'll let that go for later. Um, Go get some work done. Congrats on all the success this summer. Congrats on, uh, you know, obviously the looks like UNC is off to a great start. Two team wins, um, you know, two individual wins as well. Gosh, so uh, really off to a great start. I will see you down the yeah. road, sir, and uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. And, yeah, maybe we can get around sometime to talking about that David Ford kid. He's, he's pretty cool, and, and, and um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, um, anyway, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, and I'll try to try to get the work done. <laughs> and there you have it. Special thanks to Austin Greaser for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you again next time here at the Back of the Range.